and good to be in the house of the Lord with you all again today as we do our, the third part in our series on the sanctuary. And um, this has been very rich for me, um, but I'm realizing that I'm, I, I don't go fast enough through the sanctuary, so we'll, we'll talk about that as we go into it. Um, I praise God that we are all here and that um, even as for us at least, some of the restrictions of the pandemic are loosening, uh, we, we're still praying for other parts of the world where it is still quite severe. This was a very harrowing week. Talk about signs of the times. When we're watched, we've watched um, in the last two weeks a building collapse on its own in South Florida. Um, one spotlight of hope was they, they did get a cat out alive in the last 24 hours and reunite the cat with their owner. We watched the president of Haiti assassinated. And we are seeing an upheaval in the world. I think one of the things that's most shocking is the trends of weather. As we see the droughts continue in the West, and unprecedented uh, temperatures all of which are putting the world on alarm. And even here, we are dealing with tropical storms in a place that is antithetical to the tropics. I believe that God is giving us the signs and helping us to see that time is short. We, as a people, are without excuse. We are caught off guard. Our scripture reading today will be taken from the book of John, the 17th chapter. John chapter 17, we'll read verses 15 through 17. John 17, 15 says, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. The last verse is critical. It says, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Thy word is truth. Our message this Sabbath, the, path, the sanctuary part three, the path to holiness. The path to holiness. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to study your word. As we dive even deeper into your holy sanctuary and the message attached to it, Lord, I pray for the outpouring of your Holy Spirit. Lord, once again, I ask only to be a nail on the wall. Hang a portrait of Christ on that nail. There's no point in me being seen, Father. Instead, we need to hear a word from Christ. This is our prayer in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. We're going to go back to Leviticus 9. We, we were here a couple weeks ago and, and go through this initial inauguration of the sanctuary. Leviticus chapter 9 and verse 1, it says, And it came to pass on the eighth day that Moses called Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel. And he said unto Aaron, Take thee a young calf for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. 
without blemish and offer them before the Lord. The first thing as they go to, be, uh, to, 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 to kick off the sanctuary is that there are sacrifices that have to be made. Verse 3, the Bible says, And unto the children of Israel thou shalt speak, saying, Take ye a kid of the goats for a sin offering, and a calf and a lamb, both of the first year without blemish, for a burnt offering, also a bullock and a ram for peace offerings, to sacrifice before the Lord, and a meat offering mingled with oil. For today the Lord will appear unto you. Can you imagine they're giving this instruction to go and get these things. They're about to start the sanctuary service. Moses tells the people that do these things because today God is going to appear to you. The last time they uh, saw God, we talked about a couple weeks ago, uh, he was a, uh, like a consuming fire on the top of Mount Sinai. The people were sore afraid, but Moses was able to go up into the cloud. I'm sure the people were anxious as they began to prepare and put things together, knowing that God was going to show up among them again. Verse 5, they brought that which Moses commanded before the tabernacle of the congregation. And all the congregation drew and stood before the Lord. And Moses said, this is the thing which the Lord commanded that you should do. And the glory of the Lord shall appear unto you. The people did all of this. They got everything together. In Leviticus 9, it goes through all of the offerings, the way that the certain organs had to be removed and laid on the, the brazen altar, which we talked about last week. All of these things had to be set up just right. And once everything was put in its place, in Leviticus 9 and verse 23, the Bible says, and Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of the congregation. So they went into the holy place. They come back out. The Bible says, uh, um, came on, and they blessed the people. And the glory of the Lord appeared unto all the people. As they stood there, God's glory appears. And in verse 24, the Bible says, And there came a fire out from before the Lord and consumed upon the altar the burnt offering and the fat. And when all the people saw, they shouted and fell on their faces. Can you imagine as they're worshiping together and as the offerings are laid out, as the presence of God appears to them, all of a sudden fire comes out and everything is consumed. They fell on their faces and they worshiped. You know, you can make the, connect the dots to when Elijah on Mount Carmel says, listen, whoever is God, fire is going to come down from heaven. There's a connection in the scripture to God and fire. In fact, I think the devil twisted it for a lot of people by making people think he rules a realm that is always on fire. My Bible tells me that God is a devouring fire, that, that, that uh, Moses, when he met God, it was, a, it was a fire that did not consume the bush. And all through the scripture, God is connected to fire. Here is one of those places. Uh, and if we are ever to stand before God, we're going to actually have to be able to stand in the presence of a devouring, consuming fire. And what is it looking to consume? Sin. You see, what those offerings represented was sin. 
That's why they had to be completely burned up. Even as the sanctuary message goes on and you follow these offerings, the, the, whatever was offered had to be completely consumed. But of course, as we talked about before, there was a problem. Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, they took either of them a censer and they put fire therein and put incense thereon and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. Verse 2 of Leviticus 10 says, And there went out fire from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. This fire that they call strange fire, another word you could use is that it was a foreign fire. In other words, the only fire that was to be used in the sanctuary was this fire that was to burn continually on the altar. All the other fires, if they had to be started or if they needed to be used, had to come from that fire. They, in their drunkenness, as we talked about before, went and could not tell the difference and got a fire that did not originate from out of God. The Bible says they were destroyed because of it. Then Moses said unto Aaron, this is it that the Lord spake, saying, watch this church, I will be sanctified in them that come nigh me, in those that come near me, and before all the people I will be glorified. The Bible says, and Aaron held his peace. In fact, I won't get into it today, but Aaron, is, is, they're not even allowed to mourn the death of Nadab and Abihu. And when you read this, what you realize is that God expects us to live up to what we know. Clear instruction had been given to Nadab and Abihu about how they were to conduct themselves, their deportment as priests, how they were supposed to, to behave. And yet, the, in their, in their uh, uh, cavalier attitude, they went against God. And, and it worries me as I look at it because some folk don't understand the severity and, 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 and the seriousness of being a part of the house of God. So I ask the question. Are we Nadab and Abihu? Are we living the kind of Christian walk where we take what God has given us for granted? Have we been given truth, deep truth, precious truth, eternal truth, and do we take it for granted and, and, and walk all over it, in a sense mocking it? Are we like Nadab and Abihu bringing to a perfect God a strange fire? You see, God did not ask us to stay in the condition we are in. When we offered the sacrifice on the brazen altar, it wasn't so that we could stay the way we are. Here's what Job, Job, one of Job's friends talking to Job says this in Job 15, 14 through 16. He says, what is man that he should be clean? And he which is born of a woman that he should be righteous. Behold, he puts no trust in his saints. This is speaking of God. Yea, the heavens are not clean in his sight. Look at verse 16. It says, how much more abominable and filthy is man which drinks iniquity like water. The scripture says that, 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 that's, that even the heavens have been corrupted. The third of the angels fell. You all remember that. 
So how much worse is it for man who only seems to want to drink iniquity? And, and, I, and I bring this up because we as Christians are like uh, in a situation where we are constantly being pulled, not just to stay in the church, but we're being pulled out of the church, many of us. We send our children to schools where they teach that, in fact, they weren't created. They evolved. We, set our, we, 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 we sit ourselves down in front of programs that teach um, that any moral way you want to live is perfectly fine. We uh, uh, consume uh, the, the, the social media, uh, the TikTok videos of the world, which teach all kinds of things against our God. In fact, what we often are bringing before our Lord is strange fire. Isaiah 64 and verse 6 says, But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are as filthy rags. We all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. I tell you, I I was raised at Venice. I say that all the time, and I, I can tell you that it took it took a lot for the truth to really click with me. I see Brother Douglas there in the back. He used to teach us when we were kids the dangers of television. And we wouldn't take you serious, Douglas. It took for me to grow spiritually and understand how impressionable my mind was for me to begin to stop looking at certain things and watching things, friends of mine that, that slipped into the realm of, of pornography and, and could never come back out. Marriages ruined because they exposed themselves to strange fire. We have to be careful because we, we have to and, and, and constantly ask ourselves, are we bringing God strange fire instead of, of lighting this body sanctuary with those things that are holy and pure? Are we igniting in ourselves those things which work against our God? Hebrews. The book of the Bible that deals the most with the sanctuary in the New Testament, anyway, says, Hebrews 10, 26, For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sins. You see, the sacrifice had already been made for Nadab and Abihu. They were in a good place. All they had to do now is follow what God had said. But if you stay in sin, there's no more sacrifice. But a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Paul then says, of how much sore punishment, suppose ye, shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God. If Nadab and Abihu watched bulls and lambs and goats be consumed by fire and and they were reckless in how they carried themselves as priests, how much worse will it be for us who are trotting underfoot the very sacrifice of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? And I've counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing. And hath done despite unto the spirit of grace. I was in a discussion this week 
Jackie was uh, driving her crazy arguing with the, um, some uh, gentlemen who are members of the black Hebrew Israelite group. My brother called me from Miami to discuss with them. It wasn't much of a discussion. It was far more of a yelling match. I promise I didn't yell too much. Um, but they said, listen, the only people who can be saved are, are, are Hebrews, and they are the Hebrews, and, and no one else can be saved. And, and they went to the book of Psalms to say, see, we made a blood covenant, and, and so we are the only ones that can be saved. And I went to the book of Hebrew, and I said, you're wrong. You see, you are still operating under a system that no longer has sway or power. You see, the blood covenant that I'm under is the blood covenant that happened on Calvary's tree. The blood that was shed there, my high priest went in just once. And I know you guys aren't in Miami sacrificing bulls and goats. Hebrews 10.30. We know him that say hath said, vengeance belongs unto me. I will recompense, says the Lord, and again the Lord shall judge his people. Verse 31, when I read it, sends a, a, a chill down my spine. It says, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. When you are in the courtyard of the sanctuary, the brazen altar is made of brass, which is a mixture of copper and tin. Some argue it may have been, um, um, I mean, it's bronze, which is copper and tin. Some say it may have been brass, which is a copper and zinc, but Either way, copper is the, is, the, is, the, is, the, is the primary metal. It is very durable, very strong. Um, it is able to, 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 to uh, withstand all kinds of heat. And so it was beaten into shape. And it represents uh, judgment. It represents that in order to pass the test of judgment, Christ himself had to be beaten. But like the acacia wood that the brass went over, Christ endured. You see, the acacia wood... Insects can't destroy. Isn't that deep? Christ is represented in the altar. And so many, when they get to the altar, when they get to the cross, and they believe their sins are forgiven, that's it for them. Christianity is over. I'm saved. And they walk away. In fact, I remember when my cousin, Sean Taylor, was uh, played for the Washington Redskins, who was killed in his house by an intruder. And I remember when we when we went to the, the, the funeral in Miami, and all, all the football players, the NFL were there, the entire University of Miami organization, the entire Washington Redskins organization, um, I, um, I sat behind Chad Ochocinco, some of you guys might remember him, and, and my cousin's agent, um, I think his name was Drew Rosenhaus, the one who they made a movie after, and he made a speech. Um, O.J. Simpson was there, all kinds of people were there. I remember Joe Gibbs, the, he was the coach of the Washington Redskins at the time, and he was a Christian. And I remember him going and taking a podium in a, and this was in a, this was in a basketball um, arena, so it's, there were thousands of people at the service. And I remember after, towards the end of his talk, he had, he had people recite the sinner's prayer. Have you guys heard that before? And it was as if he, he thought that because this prayer had been recited, because they simply said it now, you were saved and you were going to just go to heaven. That was the end of it. See, there's a lot of folk that think if you get to the cross, you confess your sins, that that's it. But, but 
The sanctuary message tells us that we cannot stop at the brazen altar. You aren't made a Christian so that you could get to the cross and stop. I know some of you are like, what do you mean? You'll see there is more God wants for you than to just forgive you of sin. He wants to give you the power to live victoriously over sin. He doesn't just justify you. The God we serve wants to sanctify you. He wants to show you a path to holiness. He wants to take you from being a sinner to being a priest. That's right. As I study the sanctuary message, one thing I realized, it isn't simply about turning those who have been unrighteous into those who are forgiven. It is about turning the sinner into a priest, turning those who once served themselves into those who now serve the living God. That's the sanctuary message, at least a big part of it. Look at this. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 9 says, but you are a chosen generation. What are you? You are a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. In other words, you haven't just been saved just to be collected. You've been saved to serve in the priesthood, which makes the sanctuary message begin to come alive. Because too many Christians stop at the brazen altar and they never make it to the labor. They stop at the brazen altar and they never make it into the holy place to serve God. They think that, well, I've done enough. I've given my life. And this is why in the parable of the sower, so many hear the word. They stop at the altar and never go any further. Testimonies for the Church, Volume 1, page 286 says this. As we read the word of God, how plain it appears that his people are to be peculiar and distinct from the unbelieving world around them. Our position is interesting and fearful. Living in the last days, how important that we imitate the example of Christ and walk even as he walked. There is a path to holiness. We are to follow him and ask yourself from the brazen altar, in which direction does the high priest go? Does the high priest now turn and leave through the front doors of the, of the sanctuary and go about his business? Or does the high priest now go into the tabernacle, to tabernacle with God and to serve God as a priest? If we are to follow Christ, which way are we supposed to go? Are we supposed to have a shallow, waffling, mamsy-pamsy relationship with the God of heaven? Or as you as a Christian supposed to be daily, constantly uh, 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 strengthening your walk with your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? He continues, says, if any man, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and do what? And follow me. The opinions and wisdom of men must not guide or govern us. They always lead away from the cross. And that's not easy. It's not easy to stand and be a Christian in a world of sin. It's not easy to stand for the principles of right when the entire world has decided that, it, that living wrong is up to you and you can do whatever you want. 
In fact, if you try to live a right life in these days, there are going to be those who come after you and say that you are, are opposed to them and that you, you don't have a right to do what you're doing. In fact, I hope you can see from what's going on in the world that the, the, that the climate is being set. The atmosphere in society is beginning to surface. An atmosphere that says um, persecution will come to those who live as God says live. When you look at the tabernacle, when you look at what happens, you come in through the east gate. Remember the tribe of Judah would sit over here. It's the tribe from which Jesus would come. You come through the door. The door is Jesus. We talked about that. Even the white linen around the sanctuary represented the righteousness of Christ. It was seven and a half feet high. Why? Because you couldn't just look in. You had to enter in. And you'd come in and the first thing you'd see is the altar of burnt offerings, this, this brazen altar, which was the largest piece of furniture in the entire sanctuary system. It was the one that most of the children of Israel were exposed to, but many of them never went any further. Because when you get to what we're going to talk about today for a little bit, it's the bronze laver. This was, interestingly enough, the most used piece of furniture in the entire sanctuary system. The one that represents baptism, because this is where they would wash. The one that represents the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, just like baptism. This, is where, this was the one that was used the most. And here's what's interesting. It is one of the few pieces of furniture that has no dimensions. In other words, there is no bottom to God's ability to save and sanctify. You had to wash before you could go into the tabernacle. So this laver was actually very incredibly well made. I, I, let me read the description before I talk about it. But it, was, it, was, it sat on a pedestal, and it was made of just pure bronze. Here's what the Bible says. Exodus 38 and verse 8. And he made the laver of brass, and the foot of it of brass, of the looking glasses of the women assembling which assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. They did not have glass like we have today to make mirrors. They would take bronze or brass and polish it so well that you could see yourself in it. Oh, y'all missing this thing. <laughs> Where you're supposed to wash yourself clean was literally made of substance so you could see where the dirt is. It was designed so that you could see your reflection and know what needed to be washed. This is why this, you can't stop just at the, at the, at the altar. You've got to keep going to the laver because you still got to be washed. You've got to be sanctified and you've got to see your sin. You've got to see your character defects. Once you're saved, once you're justified by the blood of Jesus Christ, there is work to be done. Because we are supposed to be a royal priesthood, peculiar people. We're not like everybody. We don't watch what everybody else watches or listen to what everybody else listens to. Exodus 30 and verse 17, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Thou shalt also make a laver of brass, and his foot also of brass, to wash withal. Thou shalt put it between the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, and thou shalt put water therein. For Aaron and his son shall wash uh, their hands and their feet thereat. 
When they go into the tabernacle of the congregation, they shall wash with water that they die not. Or when they come near to the altar to minister, to burn offering made by fire unto the Lord. It's interesting. There, was, there, were, two, there were two sets of washings that happened for the priests. When the priests were, were ordained, as it were, or brought into the priesthood, Moses washed Aaron and his sons head to foot out of the laver. It was, it was a symbol of baptism. Their whole bodies were washed. But here's what's interesting. Before they served as priests, their hands and their feet were washed. Do you think that at the Last Supper, as Jesus dropped to his knees to wash the feet of his disciples, do you think that they made the connection that Jesus was washing his disciples for service just as Moses had washed Aaron and his sons for service? This is why the, ordination, the, the, the ordinance of humility is still an important one. Hands are washed for service. And when you put your hands in the water to wash the other person's feet, your, your hands are washed. And the feet are washed because our feet are what take us to deliver the gospel. It is a symbol that you can't just stop at the altar. You can't just say, look, I'm saved. I'm going home and watching Netflix. I'll wait there till Jesus comes. No, when you're saved, you've got to put on the priestly garments. You've got to get ready to serve. You've got to be washed from out of the laver. Why, how are you washed? Look at this. Exodus 30 verse 21 says, So they shall wash their hands and their feet, that they die not, and it shall be a statute forever to them, even to him and to his seed throughout their generations. Something that would always happen. Here's what Jesus says in Revelation chapter 1. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us. And look at this. And washed us from our sins in his own blood. And hath made us kings and what? Priests unto God and his father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. They would have to wash because when they would do these sacrifices, they'd be covered in blood. Now they had to, they, all of that had to be washed. All of it had to be clean. My Bible is telling me that you, when you come to the cross, when you, when you experience what Christ has for you, he wants to wash you. He wants to make you a priest and a king. Look at this one, Ephesians 5, 25 and 26 says, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Look at verse 26. That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by what? The word. It's powerful. The labor represents the fact that when you become a Christian, you must now be washed in God's word. You've got to be washed in his word. That means you should be having daily devotion time, daily time in the word of God, because as the word of God washes over you, what's the most important part? Washes over your mind. It is the word of God that gives you the ability to discern what is right and wrong in a very confusing world and time. If you're not studying God's word, you're going in the wrong direction. It's God's word that will do this. I, I, you know, I you have the Bible app on my phone, and sometimes in my car, I just let the, the, the chapters play. Just, just let it read. There's no excuse not to be engaged with God's word with all the technology we have now. On your commute to work, 
either on the way there or on the way home. Commit to just listening to God's word. Let me tell you something. You will go through the Bible so fast. I'm going through the Bible several times just listening to it in my car. It is God's word. You have been called to be washed. Romans 6 verse 18 says this. Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. See, there are a lot of folks who think, well, I've been made free by Jesus. I'm just free. I can just go do whatever I want now. In fact, there are those who claim a doctrine that is a, a hellish doctrine, a doctrine that says, once I'm saved, I'm always saved. So you come in, you, get, you, know, you, you, you take some Bible study, you get baptized. And that next weekend, you're back in the club. I'm saved now. But my Bible teaches something different. It says when you're made free from sin, you don't become a servant to sin again. You become a servant to what? To righteousness. John 15, 3 says, now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. It is God's word. Christ is the word. And that's why John 17, 15 through 17 is our scripture reading today. He says, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. The labor represents the development of character, the washing, the... Con the, the and remember, they, every time, before they went to do anything at the altar, they had to wash. Before they went into the tabernacle, hands and feet had to be washed. They had to constantly... It was the most used a piece of furniture, and it represents what the Word of God does to the Christian who is a believing, a, a Bible-believing Christian. As you study the Word, it begins to purify you. What is it purifying? All of those defects of character. We all have them. I just read an interesting book, um, uh, What Happened to You? Oprah Winfrey and a psychiatrist read this book, and I can't say I agree with everything in the book, Except that I found it fascinating how they tied how people behave later in life to traumas that happened to them as a child. Very profound. And let me tell you something. The reason many of us have a character defects and flaws uh, is in part because some of us, when we were growing up, didn't grow up in the nicest of environments or, or in, the, in the happiest of homes. Some of us were neglected and abused. Some of us were, 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 were treated poorly. And, and I want to tell you that God loves you so much that when you start to get into the word with him, this is the one thing that one of the things that that book was missing. As you get into God's word, let me tell you something. I've, as I'm reading God's word, I, I realize not only my shortcomings, I also, God points me back to why I am where I am. And he gives me an opportunity to do something. One of them is to forgive the people that hurt me. God's word does that. We were studying in, in the book of Mark last night uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, where in, when, when Jesus gives the Lord's prayer in the book of Matthew, how he says, listen, you've got to uh, forgive those that have harmed you. That wasn't easy for me to forgive my father. I'm talking about being at the labor now and really washing. Not easy when you grow up without a father who wants nothing to do with you. I remember playing Pop Warner football in Bloomfield at the park there. And all the other boys' fathers would be lined up. 
Myself and my brother David, there's nobody there. You try and call him to, to make a connection, try and nothing. But it was interesting when I graduated from medical school, he claimed me. My older brother, Douglas knows my older brother Tony very well. He, he, I think he may still have a hard time. My father's dead now. But being at the labor means I wash in God's word. And when I wash in it, I am free to liberate myself from those things that bind me. The pain of, of having a father whose name I carry who wanted nothing to do with me. I've got to wash in the laver. And I praise God, but my father was on his deathbed at a hospital in Miami, and he had at least, at least that we know of, at least 11 other children. And I remember just myself and my younger brother David, two of the most neglected, if not maybe the most neglected, after he divorced and left my mother, we were the ones sitting in the hospital room, reading the Bible to him, praying with him, telling him that he needs to give his life to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm talking about a labor experience, church. As a Christian, you don't do what the world does, which is, uh, it was one of my brothers did at the funeral, just basically spill all the man's dirt. Talk horribly about him. No, I've been washed in the labor. I want to know that I am a, a, a participating in the work of God. And I want to introduce this man in all of his brokenness to the perfect high priest, Jesus Christ. That's the power of the sanctuary message. You realize no one comes to the sanctuary themselves clean and perfect. Even Aaron and his sons had to do a sin offering before they started doing what they did. But church, you've got to have labor experiences. You've got to allow the word of God to wash over you so that you don't hate folk. So you're not mad at people. I look at the racial tension in this country and I say the whole country needs a labor experience. Everybody's mad at each other. There's more division in the country today than there probably was 30 years ago. And it takes an understanding of God's word to look at the word and understand life in the context of eternity. Because you see, that's one of the things the word does for you. And once I start looking at the world in the context of eternity, I realize I don't have long here. I don't have enough time here to be mad at you and angry at this one and fighting over that. I want to make sure my calling and election is sure. I want to put on the priestly robes that God has for me. And I could get into the priestly robes and maybe in one of the later sessions, we'll keep going with this. I mean, Alex and I may just have to come at nights and we, we record the rest of it because we're going to get all the way through the sanctuary, I promise. But there's an undergarment you got to put on. It goes down as a priest over your knees that covers your nakedness. That happens after the altar. And after you've washed. And then you got to put on all kinds of garments. There's, and we're talking about stones today in the children's story. Some of those stones would actually be part of the breastplate. Now, we could get into all of that. But what I found interesting is that there's a coat the priest must put on that is made out of white linen. It's perfect and exquisitely made. 
So before you go into the tabernacle to serve, your, your, your loins are gird. Ah, this brings you back to Ephesians 6, doesn't it? Your loins are gird with truth. You're covered in a robe of righteousness, which brings you to the story of the prodigal, which brings you even to the Garden of Eden. And you start to understand that I don't, get, I don't have to worry that I walk in my own righteousness, but I do have to submit my will to him. And then I can serve him in the tabernacle. Christ Object Lessons, page 50. Grace can thrive only in the heart that is being constantly prepared for the precious seeds of truth. The thorns of sin will grow in any soil. They need no cultivation, but grace must be carefully cultivated. The briars and thorns are always ready to spring up. And the work of purification must advance continually. I thought of the book of Job. When you read the book of Job, at the beginning of the book, Job is presented as if he's perfect. But by the end of the book, he's getting uh, a lecture and instruction from God as to how even Job needed to grow. Each one of us. You know why? It's like math. The distance between two spaces in many ways is infinite. As long as you keep cutting it in half, you can always cut it in half. No matter how close you get to the righteousness of Christ, you can always cut the distance in half and you keep cutting it in half. You can always grow. We are to never stop and rest on our laurels. Don't stop at the brazen altar. If the heart is not kept under the control of God, if the Holy Spirit does not work unceasingly to refine and ennoble the character, the old habits will reveal themselves in the life. Men may profess to believe the gospel, but unless they are sanctified by the gospel, their profession is of no avail. If they do not, again, if they do not gain the victory over sin, then sin is gaining the victory over them. The thorns that have been cut off but not uprooted grow apace until the soul is overspread with them. Church, there's a path to holiness. The sanctuary points us that our characters must be washed. And I can tell you one of the things that I thank God for is that in the process of the labor experience I had even with my father, I was able to not only meet siblings I hadn't met, but introduce even them to the Lord Jesus Christ. Not enough to stop at the altar and say, I've been forgiven and go home. Each one of us has work to do as priests in the house of the living God. I'm going to ask you to stand, but let me ask Jackie and Janae to come up first and just sing a, a, a song here. What I want you to do is just bow your head and close your eyes and ask God, what labor experience do you need? What is it in your life that you have not let go of? What sin is easily besetting you? What trauma keeps driving you away from God? As the song is sung, think about what God wants to change in your life. And let's believe him that he can make us clean. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, 
a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.